going to start off doing something a little, a little goofy, a little different. Um, we're going to try something. We're going to try something out. I want to see if we, as a people, can get all Ten Commandments. Now, here's, here's the rules. You've got to raise your hand, okay? If you want to say one, raise your hand, we'll call on you. If you say one, you can't say another. Everyone gets one, one, one commandment you can say. There's more than ten of us, so we should, let's see if we can get it. So, ten commandments, if you know one, raise your hand. Okay, what's, what's give me one? Of course you would say that. Honor, honor your mother and father next to your daughter. That's great. That, that's, number, that's number four. That's number five. That's number five. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. That's six. No other gods before me. Number one. Yes. Do not commit adultery. Okay, we got like four so far. What do you got? Do not covet your neighbor's house, his mule, his wife, anything the neighbor's got. Don't covet. That's like five now. Right? You got five, babe? Five left. Oh, we got to do better than this. It's Helen. Thou shalt not steal. That's one of them. <laughs> Miss Chrissy, you're always one behind. Yeah. The Lord's name in vain, number three. What's funny is I've done this a few times, and that's the one that always gets forgotten, number three. That's the one that everyone always forgets. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. Okay. We got six. Katie? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So we've got three of the first four done. What do you got, Moses? Idols, graven images, straight up. Number two. That's one. So, how many do we have left, babe? We have one left. What, what do you think, dude? You got it? No. We have one left. Now, here, here's a funny story. Here's a funny story. Having one left. There's this play that my wife likes called The Crucible. They made it into a movie at some point. Well, there's been a lot of movies of The Crucible. In The Crucible, there's this great scene. Uh, Crucible takes place during, like, the Salem witch trials. And it's a small village. It's back in the 1800s. And this, this proper churchy dude in a proper Puritan village has an affair. And... He's, he's, it's, it's, it's eating him up. He feels guilty. It's all this thing happening. And the pastor comes over and is like, he wants, he wants to become a member of the church. So he asks, he questions this new church member. Do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know this? And they ask him, what are the Ten Commandments? And this guy remembers nine of them. He goes through, da 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 And he gets nine. He can't remember the tenth one. And his wife just goes, it's adultery, John. It's the one he can't remember is the one he's breaking at the time. It's a great scene. You're like, oh, shoot. She, she knows, and now he knows, and she knows. It's a great scene. So which sin are we battling with, church? What's the, what's the one command we can't figure out? Is it, I don't know if it's already been said. You said it's already been said. Is it don't bear false witness? 
That's the one. Apparently, we're a bunch of liars. We couldn't remember that one. We got all 10. Today, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. So here's, how, here's, where, here's, where, here's where we are in the story. Moses, okay, so we'll do the whole thing. Abraham and Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Number 11, Joseph, favorite son, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery. He's a slave, then a prisoner, and then he's number two in Egypt, brings his whole family to, the, to Egypt. They, the Pharaoh loves Joseph, so the Pharaoh loves Joseph's family. Seventy people come over to Egypt. Over 400 years, that 70 people becomes over a million. And Moses is raised up by the Lord, faces the Pharaoh. After 10 plagues, Pharaoh lets the Hebrews go. Moses leads Israel out of bondage. They go through the Red Sea, and they walk through the wilderness to the mountain of God. And God is going to give them the law. Now, here's the deal. To be a nation, you need three things. God promised Abraham way back in the day, God said, your children someday will become a great nation. To be a nation, you need people. They got people, over a million of them. Israel, when they leave Egypt overnight, they become the greatest power in the region. It's nuts. They have the people. They know you need people, you need land. They're going to the promised land. They know where God wants them to live. The promised land is this land flowing with milk and honey. But you also need governance. You need a way to structure your society. Now, here in America, we are a what? What kind of government are we in America? We're a democracy. And more specifically, we're a democratic republic. Meaning the average people, we vote for some dude or some lady to be our representative and they go to D.C., and they make laws that we want them to pass. We are their constituents, and they do things we tell them to, or we get mad or something like that. We vote them out of office. We're a democratic republic. It's what we are. We're a democracy. And in America, there is a law that separates the church and the state. Israel was not like that. Israel is a theocracy. God is their king. Like, literally, there is no king on the throne. The, 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 there's no president or prime minister. Literally, the God of heaven, Yahweh himself, is their leader. And he's going to give them a law, the law of God. This is the, listen, if, we're, if you're reading the Bible, it gets hard this week, just so you know. We read the Old Testament for the last two months, okay? Genesis was, was, was great fun. Early Exodus was awesome. Moses fighting Pharaoh. But now we get to the end of Exodus, which is all them measuring out fabric. It's, 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 it's so exciting. Um, I'm not even lying. It's literally like 10 furlongs. What's, what's that furlongs? What's the Cubits. It's all cubits and linen and brass. It's out of control. And then after that, next week, so this week is making the tabernacle, and next week is Leviticus. Leviticus is the one book that has ruined more would-be Bible readers than any book in history. Leviticus is the book where you're reading, you're like, this book stinks, and you stop reading. But we're going to make it through. Gang, we're going to finish this book. 
But Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are the law of God. And the law of God is telling people, okay, so we have laws in America, okay? If I'm speeding, there's a speed limit. And in, around here, it's what, 70? 75, you go out west, head out you know, towards Lansing, or towards, yeah, Lansing. 75 miles an hour. If I go faster than that, a cop can pull me over. And they can give me a what? What's the penalty for breaking the, 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 the law of speed limit? A ticket. Well, I hope it's not five points. You got you to go to court and... You got to negotiate that down to fine and no points. But there's a ticket. You get a ticket. But in America, there are crimes, there are punishments, and we know how the laws work. In Israel, God gives his law, and his law governs every part of society. It tells you what to do if someone... What do you do if someone murders your kid? What do you do if someone... If their bull kills your bull? The law tells you how to deal with every single thing you'll face as, you, as a farmer, as a, as a livestock, as an agrarian. The law covers crime, it covers health, it covers worship of the Lord because it's a theocracy. And the Ten Commandments are kind of the, 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 the Magna Carta of God's law. They're like the high point. And like the rest of the law explains the first Ten Commandments. And these Ten Commandments are pretty awesome. Every one of these Ten Commandments is affirmed by Jesus in the New Testament. Every one of the commands here, the New Testament's going to say these are good laws and you should heed them. But they're hard. Let's walk through the Ten Commandments and see how hard they are. First, you should have no other gods before me. It's hard, man. God needs to be on the throne of my heart. John Calvin once said that our hearts, our heart is an idol-making factory. We could very easily take anything and put it on God's seat in our heart. It's very easy to do. I remember one time when I was in college, the Lord in prayer revealed to me very, very clearly. I was dating a girl. I cared for her. But God's like, this is not good for you. This is, not, this, is, this is bad for you. This thing you're doing, the relationship you're in, is not, it's not good. you got to end it. And I was bummed about it. But I heard the Lord's voice very clearly. I drove to her college to break up with her. As I'm pulling into the college, I was in a Rocky soundtrack, trying to get myself, like, like. I, 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 it was, I was, I was, because breaking up is truly hard to do, as the song says. I was, I didn't want to hurt anybody. I knew it was going to be, it was going to be a whole thing. So I go there, I get there, I get out of the car, I go to her dorm, I beep the room, and she, I'm, 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 I'm surprising her out of nowhere. But she comes down, and I didn't know this, but she had gotten a new hairstyle, and it was very nice. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just being honest, it was very nice. She's wearing a new outfit. I remember seeing her. I remember very clearly in my heart saying to God, leave me alone. I want this. And that moment, I'm like, I'd rather worship her than you, Lord, because this seems like more fun. And in that moment, I broke the first commandment. It's hard. We could put our kids there, our spouse there, our job there, our comfort there, 
our political leaning there, they put a lot in his seat. Next command it says, do not worship any graven images. It's a weird one. But we, in America, we can break this one too. God says, don't give, like, don't call, don't make up a statue and say it's me, basically. Don't, don't build a golden calf and call it Yahweh, which they did after he says not to. Um, it's very for, easy for us to make God in our own image. And when we do that, God says, that's not okay. Number three, lure them in vain. We break that one all the time. You stub your toe, oh, be the Buddha, and that's God's name in vain. Do it all the time. Or it's also using his name in vain when I call on the name of God to try to guilt someone, manipulate someone, or bully someone. As a, as a pastor in the city of Flint, I have guys all the time, people call, pastor, I need help paying this bill. And I'm like, listen, we, 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 can't, we can't help you with this bill this month. Oh, man, that you were a Christian. That you loved Jesus. If you really loved God, you would do this thing I asked you to do. They're using God to try to guilt me into something. People do this stuff. When they do, they're using the name of God in vain. They're using God as a bully pulpit to make someone do what they want to do. I have people call me and say, Pastor or, or, Ernesto, would you come and pastor our church? And I'm like, no, I feel called to flip this where I'm supposed to be. Well, God told me you're supposed to come here. I'm like, you're supposed to tell me too. You know what I'm saying? But you're using God's name to try to guilt me to do something, and that's using his name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. It is hard for us to take one day of rest every week. It's hard for us to say, I'm going to take one day a week, I'm going to seek the Lord and let my body get the rest it so desperately needs. Maybe I need the money. I'm going to work on Sunday or whatever. Sabbath can be any day of the week. For me, it's Monday. For you, it might be Sunday. I don't know what your Sabbath day is. But for many of us, it's hard to take a day of the week and say, this day is a day for rest and the Lord. It's hard for us to do that. Number five, honor your mother and father. I just watched a movie this week called Turning Red. It's on Disney Plus. It's a Pixar film. And in the movie, there's a really overbearing, overprotective mother in the movie. We're watching with the kids. Listen, if you, were, if you have kids want to watch this movie, a warning. There's a lot about puberty in this movie. Like, after the movie was over, I had a lot of questions for my children about a lot of things. They're like, what were those things? I'm like, oh, no! Like, it's just a warning if you watch this movie. Puberty talk afterwards, just so you know. Um, but in the movie, there was this mother very overbearing, and we talked a lot, me and the kids talked a lot about the, the characters and, and the conflict and the story. But here's the reality of things our parents are not perfect, they're just people. And in nine out of 100 cases, God calls to honor our parents. When I first became, when I first became a believer in Jesus Christ, I um, was a very bad son to my, my mom. Um, my mom didn't go to church with me. My mom didn't go to church at all. And so I was really mean to her and unkind to her. I would speak poorly to her. I wouldn't obey her commands. She asked me to do things. I would not listen to her. I'd come home late. I'd yell at her. One time, I, I, a couple of times, I cursed in her face and called her some really bad names. 
I was, a, I was a mean kid to my mom for a long time. One day I was at a camp and I was praying through some things. And the Lord said very clearly, you talk all this big talk about being a Christian, doing all this stuff, but you don't honor your mom at all. And I'm like, Lord, you don't know. He's like, I know. You honor your mother. I remember I went home that night. I came home. My mom was, my mom was waiting up for me. And I came in and I was like, hey, Ma, I'm going to talk to you. She's like, what? I'm like, I know I've been a hard kid. I've been mean to you. I say mean things. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to do better. And it was really awkward and weird because saying sorry is awkward and weird. And she was like, okay. And she left. And I said, I went to bed. But I really started trying. I, she said, do dishes. I would do the dishes. She said, do vacuum. I would vacuum. I tried to obey on my mom. And now, fast forward 25 years, and she's one of my best friends. I thank the Lord for that. It's a hard one, though, because our parents can hurt us bad. They, they're going to fail us. I'm going to fail my kids. Do not murder. A lot of us are like, oh, that's easy, not murdering people. That's a, that's a pretty big line to cross. It is. Here's the reality. I knew a man, a sweet, gentle man who loved Jesus. He was soft-spoken. He was kind. And one day, his young daughter went to a party. Someone slipped her a Mickey. A couple guys had their way with her. And it threw her life into a tailspin. It was a wound she didn't know how to heal from. And he as a father felt helpless and angry. And in that moment, you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to kill the men that did that to his daughter. He didn't just say those words. He thought about, who do I know at my work that might know somebody? How much would it cost? And he began playing up in his mind, how could I do this thing to make these men pay for what they have done to my daughter? A lot of us think I'm, I'm above that sin. Things that happen in this life that make you think really dark and really horrible thoughts. Do not commit adultery. I had a uh, teacher, a mentor once tell me, Ernesto, you, love, you know, when you get married, you'll love your wife, you'll be faithful to your wife. And I'm like, of course I will. He said, here's the way it's going to go. This mentor of mine told me he, he was married, he was going to uh, get his PhD degree, he was serving at a church, he was associate pastor, and things were awesome, things were going great. And he said the pastor was like, he was like a, a hero to him. And the pastor's wife, he looked at her, her godliness, her faithfulness, and he's like, man, what a good, godly woman that is. And these two are a great team. And he really started enjoying her presence. Like, he just looked up to her, thought she was a great, godly woman. She'd come over at cookies with his wife, and they'd hang out. And he found himself, as time went on, when she'd come over, he'd really look forward to her presence. Over time, he realized, I am creating an emotional attachment to this woman. And one day, this woman, he realized in church, he was watching her like sing, and he realized, 
I am crushing on this woman. It's my wife. I, am, I find myself drawn to her. I, I desire her. My heart has begun to love her. And he leaves the church in like, what has happened to me? Because the devil didn't come in the front door. The devil came in the back door. That's what happens. And a lot of these things, it's like, if the devil came to my front door to change your wife, I'd be like, nah! The devil comes in the back door. That's what he does. He sneaks in. He's outside walking around clearing his mind. He turns around and there is the girl. He's like, what are you, what are you doing out here? And she walks up to him and she steps into his space, puts her hands on his chest. And she's like, I know you feel it too. And he just stands there and he goes, your husband's my friend. I will not hurt him or my Lord. And he walks away. That night he can't sleep and his wife feels him get out of bed. She comes downstairs and says, like, what's the matter? And he tells her, honey, I have fallen in love with another woman. And this champion of faith says to her husband, How could I help you? Didn't punch him in the face, which is, a, I think, is an appropriate response. And they made it through. But he told us young pastors that story. He said to us, you guys think you're tough. The devil will find a way in the back door. He'll get into your heart. He'll get into your emotions. You must be careful because adultery can take any one of us. It can Adultery, stealing. I used to think stealing wasn't a big deal. I used to think, I'll never be tempted to steal. You know, thievery is for the poor. It's for the wicked. Well, then one day, I'm, I'm in Bible college. I get a job for the summer at Kmart. I'm the overnight stock boy. And, it was a, and so they lock us in and leave us a time all night long. And there's a rule in the stock that if, let's say, we put a pallet of Doritos out and it was a bag that was popped, that was free game for everybody. So people, at, the, my coworkers, there's five of us at night, overnight, they would take things they wanted, just throw them on the ground and break them, like, oh, it's open, and eat it. And I saw them do that, I'm like, oh, man, you guys are shady. You're stealing from Kmart, that ain't right. Well, after, after, like, after like a few weeks, seeing them, whenever they had any kind of inclination, just breaks and eat it, I'm like, man, that's not fair. They get all these cool snacks. And one day, I was putting them together. There was, there was a box of flips. You know those, those uh, pretzels covered in chocolate? I'm like, those look so good. I looked around. And I was like, my little razor knife. I was like, oh, shoot. This bag's open. And I ate it. And when I opened the door for that, before I knew it, whenever I wanted anything, I was like, oh, shoot, that's crazy. And before I knew it, what's crazy is that sin grew, started out small, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I realized I'm not above any sin on this planet. None of us are. Stealing is tempting. 
It's easier to steal than to work hard and buy something, isn't it? But stealing's wrong. It's wrong. If we bring paper home from the office, oh, a fringe benefit, stealing. Stealing. Do not lie. Do not bear false witness. Do not deceive one another. When I first got married, I used to really enjoy lying just as a, I thought it was funny, as a prank. I'd be on the phone with, it'd be me and Angie driving. My mom would call me, and my mom would go, what are you doing? I'm like, all the way home hanging out, and we're in the car. I'm like, I'm lying. Like, like she's like, why are you doing it? I, I thought it was so funny to lie on the phone, and no one knew. They're little tiny lies. I just really thought it tasted good. Like, oh, no, no, no. But that's not, the thing is, listen, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, and it is. But I realize when it comes to lying, if you lie to people, you remember the lies you told, right? If I lie to you and tell them to lie to you, I remember the two stories, so I don't mix them up. When you live in the truth, you don't got to worry about what you say because you're always telling people the truth. I told you and you and you all the same story. I told you all the truth of the matter. I don't got to live always wondering, are they going to find me out? I can live in peace. I can live with my heart knowing I'm clean before all people because I'm not living a lie. Because don't deceive people. And lastly, he says, do not covet. Coveting is a tough one. To covet means I see what someone else has. And I, it's more than wanting what someone else has. If I see someone, you know what? If I, if I see a puppy, for a long time I see a puppy, and I'm like, man, we should get a puppy someday. That's okay. You're allowed to see something nice and say, we should, we should get a puppy like that. Or if someone buys a cool pillow, you go, oh, that's, I'm going to buy one of these pillows later on. It's okay to be motivated or inspired by something. <laughs> Coveting something. To covet means I see what someone else has and I'm angry that they have it. It's like, if I can't have it, no one should. Coveting is saying, God says to rejoice with those who rejoice. So let's say someone here gets a blessing. Let's say someone here wins a lottery next week. Someone here hits the Powerball and wins like $42 million. If you do that, don't tell anybody. We live in Flint. Um, I'm just telling you. Let's say you did win the lottery. Let's say you told pastor, because I'm your pastor, pastor, man, I won the lottery this week. I said, come to Angie. Man, ain't fair. This monkey won the lottery. I love the Lord, I get nothing. That's me being so self-centered that if anyone else gets a blessing that's not me, I get ticked off about it. To covet is that it's an attitude of must be nice. You want a vacation? Must be nice for you. I take on vacation. It's I have to tear everyone else down because I if I don't have what you have, I must talk bad about you or be mean to you, take it from you because I can't handle you having it. That's coveting in your heart. To covet is to be unsatisfied with anyone else's joy. These are, these are hard Ten Commandments. The Commandments are tough. There's a lot of them. I can't remember all ten every day. I can't do it. But the Lord in his wisdom helps us out. Later on, Jesus Christ is on the scene. 
And someone asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Which of the 10 is the most important? Is it number one, no other gods before me? Is it number 10, do not covet? What is the most important command? Which one is the one you should try to keep the most? And Jesus is so wise. He's gonna tell them the greatest commandment. We're in Matthew 22. 34, well, 35. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Two commands. The ten summarized by two. Love God, love people. Let's talk about loving God. First, the first four commandments, the ten commandments, it says, know the gods, graven images, lord them in vain, Sabbath. They're all God-centered commands. If you love the Lord, you will keep these four commands. The first command from the Lord is to love God with your life and with your heart some part of you should be like, Lord, I love you, I honor you, I worship you, I obey you. And if that's my motivation, I'm clean. If what I'm doing, I'm doing out of my love for the Lord. Oh, I can say something really controversial right now. Oh, man, I'm going to do it. Oh, dang it. We'll do it. Let's just say it. I'll, wait, I'll say it for the next point. I'll, I'll say it, but I'm going to say it the next point. Just yesterday, some of my uh, charismatic brothers, okay, Christianity is a big, it's big. Christianity, there's a lot of tribes, right? A lot of, a lot of tribes of Christianity. The Nazarenes, the Methodists, the Charismatics, the Baptists, the Catholics, there's a lot of us, okay? And we're all this one big dysfunctional family. It's great. <sighs> I am grateful for my Pentecostal charismatic brothers and sisters. Grateful. They write the best music. Because they're so emotional, they write wonderful, beautiful, heartfelt music. I'm grateful for their, their love and for their faith. If I ever get called, someone needs a demon cast out, I'm calling a Pentecostal and help me knock the demon out. Because they're more spiritually attuned. The Baptists are like, demon, hot. Like, like, it's like, that's like, so that's what I'm saying. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for our Pentecostal brothers. But yesterday... A Pentecostal brother told me, asked me straight up, Pastor, do you speak in tongues? I said, no, I do not. And he said, are you spirit-filled? Do you speak in tongues? I said, I am spirit-filled, and I don't speak in tongues. That's true. I am full of God's spirit, and I don't speak in tongues. And that's okay. And this brother in Christ told me, that I was wrong, I was useless to God's kingdom, 
I would only know true power and faithful ministry when I did what he did. If you're not like me, you can't really be a minister of the gospel. No. It hurt my feelings. I got a little mad. But I was very kind, and I got up and I left. As we love God, as we seek to honor the Lord and follow him, different people may have different relationships with him, and that's okay. My Pentecostal brothers speak in tongues, and I don't, and that's okay. I knew a Christian brother out in Chicago, and he, his ministry, he worked with um, male prostitutes. That's what he did. He'd walk out and hang out with male prostitutes. He'd bring them food and coffee in the cold winter, and he would get to know their names, and he would love these young men and try to bring Jesus to them. Well, as he was ministering to these young men, a lot of them were sharing needles and getting HIV and AIDS, and they were dying. So this young man decides, this, this, this young man I knew, he decides, I don't have enough time to reach these guys for the gospel because they're dying on me too fast. So he, in his love for the Lord, and this is crazy what I'm going to say to you, he buys them clean needles. And every Christian that supported him cut him off and said, you're, you're endorsing their sin. Now, I'm not saying he's right or wrong, but I am saying this. He submitted himself to the Lord, asked the Lord for permission, the Lord gave him permission, and if that's true, I think he's cool to do what he did. I knew some pastors, some ministers of the gospel, not some pastors, not some pastors I knew some people who felt called by God to reach those in the pornography industry. And they would go to these expos. They'd get there early, set up a big old tent that like, they couldn't see out of because it's too rowdy to see what's going on in there. They'd go there always in pairs with their wives. Have a, they have a porta potty in their little tented area. And they would pray for all those of the expo. You'd come in there, you could receive prayer, you could confess, you could just talk to people about God. And some people said, you can't go in those places. You can't go to that awful place. And I'm like, man, if, if they're clean before the Lord, they can. I probably, could, I probably couldn't do that. I, 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 I don't know, that's a different calling than I have. Love God, love people. The second, second set of commands, the, the, the number, four, number five through ten, honor mother and father, steal, murder, adultery, lying, coveting. I can't love my neighbor and kill them, can I? No. I can't love my neighbor and take his stuff. I can't love my neighbor and steal his wife or his husband. Can't do it. Jesus says, if you love your neighbor, you'll fulfill, you'll fulfill the commandments. And here's the thing I want to say before we end. Sometimes Christians want to honor God and they'll treat someone like dirt and say it's from the Lord and for the Lord. 
But here's the deal. If you do something hateful, if you do something cruel and say, this is for the Lord, I'm going to tell you. If you do something cruel, I'm pretty confident that's not for the Lord. That's for you. God says, love God and love people. If a Christian decides, I'm going to preach Jesus by belittling and in front of all these people, what we say, how we say something is as important as what we say. If I'm a jerk to somebody for the Lord, that's not for the Lord. That's me who's a jerk, wants a free pass to keep being a jerk, and I'm using God's name to perpetuate my jerkiness. Not okay. Not okay. Love God, love people. Now, I'm not saying enable people. Sometimes love must be tough. I work with addicts all the time. I have people ask me almost every day for money, for things like that. And I, some brothers in Christ, I know I can't give you money because I know you're going to buy alcohol with it. I, to give you money would not be loving you. I will not yell at you. I will not diminish you. I will not demean you. I will not gossip about you. But I can't give you this money either. I can't enable your sin. Love does not mean enable. God says, love him and love people. If you're doing those two things, you're doing pretty good. And loving people is hard because people can make it hard to love them. They can. Someone flips me off on the highway. It's hard to love that guy. My friend, I watch this, watch YouTube. I watch YouTube. My wife sits next to me and it's very kind. I watch YouTube and I watch these um, dash cam videos where a guy's driving, so cuts them off. And I watch for like 20 minutes and I get angry for 20 minutes. Oh, I'm like, oh, get him. Like, I, it's not helping me. It's not helping me at all to be a loving man because it's just amping me up for when it happens in real life. Loving people is hard, but God says if we love him, we have to love others. People who are different than us. Let me say this. I had a lady come to me a few years back. She came to me and said, Pastor, my daughter is a lesbian. She's like, does this mean I must disown her? Because she thought the Christian move for an LGBT child was to disown them. And for a while, that was the go-to move. I've seen documentaries. I watched a documentary recently out of kids in New York City, homeless kids, all LGBT, and out of the 10 stories told, nine of them told how their parents threw them out when they, heard, when they, when they learned of their lifestyle. They said, I have no son, I have no daughter, and that was their go-to Christian move. And this lady asked me, my, my daughter told me she's a lesbian, do I have to disown her? And she was so scared. And I'm like, no, you don't. She's like, she was so relieved. I don't have to disown her? I'm like, no, you don't have to disown her. I don't know when or how it became the go-to move for Christians. It's not very loving. You're dead to me. I won't talk to you. 
I won't care about you. I'll throw you to the wolves of the world. Not very loving. If what we're doing to honor God is hate-filled and cruel, maybe it's not actually honoring God. That's all I'm saying. So we have 10 commandments. They're good commandments. They're there to help us. Those 10 commandments are summarized in two commandments. We love God and love people. And you, as you live your life, if you're going to buy a house, buy a car, do something just like that, I encourage you, ask the Lord, Lord, is this cool with you? I'm loving God. When it comes to people, yesterday when I, when I, I was confronted and spoken to like that poorly, I had an email ready to go to blow their head off. It was awesome. It was a knife. I'm like, Andrew, what do you got this? What do you got this? I tell her what I have my ideas and stuff. And she looked at me, I'm like, uh, it's not very loving, is it? I wasn't, even though I was wrong, I kept wrong in return. Love God, love people. With that said, let us pray together. Father in heaven, your law is good. It reveals your heart. And we as people are not very good at keeping your commands. We are rule breakers. We push the boundaries. We test the limits. But Lord, you give us these two laws that are impossible to challenge. You tell us to love you. All our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let's be a people who love you and to honor you. And Lord, you tell us to love others. Help us be a people who love each other who love those who are different, who love those that hate us, who love our friends and our enemies. Lord, as we, in a word you say, they will know we are yours by our love. Let our love flow freely in this world. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.